Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Life Over Coffee. I am grateful that you are here. The topic that I want to discuss with you today, something that I want you to think about, is one of the most important things that you could ever think about, and that is God's view of you. This is episode 415, and the title of it is, How Does God See You? And why does it matter? That is a question set, and I would love for you to focus on it, at least for a few minutes, because it is one of the most important things that you can think about. How do you think that God sees you? Now, I'm not asking you to give a proper theological answer. I'm asking you to give your truth, your perspective, your view your understanding, what you believe, how you believe God views you, and then tied to that, why does it matter? I I am thankful that you are here, and if you want to take advantage of this resource, we do have three ways to do that. We produce our resources with a read, watch, listen opportunity. And so you can listen to the podcast on virtually any podcast platform. And then you could also watch uh, this resource uh, on YouTube or our Rumble channels. You can also watch it inside of our website. Just go to our website, look for episode 407, uh, 415 rather. And if you want to search for it, do that. You, you could uh, type in, how does God see you? And that will bring up episode 415. And then you will find the podcast and the video. All of that is embedded, plus the show notes. Now, the reason the show notes are good is because the show notes are basically just a skeletal outline. It's an outline of what I'm going to present to you. But inside the show notes, you will find a lot of links that will be quite beneficial. As I've said many times, that we do build our resources with a life project, a life development project in mind, a homework assignment in mind, because some people use our resources personally Other people use them in their discipleship, counseling endeavors, and that's why we create them the way that we do. And so let's say that you're counseling somebody, they can listen to this, they can watch this, or they can work through the outline. And then if they jump on the show notes and work through the outline, they will find a lot of embedded links. For example, I have a link to a full-length webinar here. It's one hour, and it talks about how to overcome how people think about you. And that is a crippler because I'm asking you, how does God think about you? But we do spend a lot of time thinking about how others think about us. And for some people, that is very controlling. Now, perhaps you have a topic that you would like for me to to discuss, to work through. And if you do, I mean, I would love to consider it. And what I would like for you to do, you can do it a couple of ways. If you are a supporting member, just jump on our forums. Uh, we have forums for our supporters, and uh, you can just write it out there and say, hey, Rick, would you develop something along these lines? And that would be great. Or what you could do is just jump on our email address, support uh, at uh, email. And then you can send it in, and you can flatten it out. Or, and what I mean by that is you can fictionalize it. And so you can take your name out of it, anybody else's name. Don't use the church. You don't have to use the geographical location because those things aren't really relevant. Uh, what's important is the question that you're actually act- asking. And so you can flatten it out, fictionalize it, and just send in this short narrative. And then I would love to consider it because if it applies to 
not just you, but other people, then that would be something to work up. This question that I'm asking in episode 415 is one of those universal applicable questions that we all do want to interact with. And again, the title of it is, How Does God See You and Why Does It Matter? That's what I want to talk about in episode 415. Have you ever thought about how others think about you? Well, I know that you have because that is a common impulse for all of us. As I was saying earlier, we do we do have a concern for how people think about us. And, of course, I am talking about on the horizontal plane. Some people overthink how other people think about them. And, again, the Bible label for that is the fear of man. Maybe you have heard it as codependency or peer pressure. Those labels are getting at what Proverbs 29:25 is teaching us, that the fear of man, it leads to a snare. And for some people, they think too much about what other people think about them. Whether other people are thinking about them at all, whether those other people, uh, what they think about them, whether it's even accurate or not. Sometimes Sometimes we can project our interpretation of what they are thinking about us, and that's when we're really overly managed by people's opinion, whether their opinion is true or not. We're just making it up and projecting it on them, but it has too much control over their lives. Now, if that is you, uh, then you are an insecure person, and you're succumbing to peer pressure, and you're very concerned and about what other people think, and I would appeal to you to get uh, that help, and I would encourage you to start with this one-hour webinar. It's free. Our resources are free. We do give them away, and so please just take advantage of it uh, because this is an important matter that you want to work through. Well, I'm asking a different kind of question. It's not so much horizontal about what other people think about you, but I am asking you, what are your thoughts about God's view of you? I am asking you a vertical question. What do you think his opinion of you is? And I would love for you to settle in for just a few minutes and really contemplate what that what your opinion is. Now, again, I'm not asking you for some theologically accurate answer, and that is the temptation, especially with people who are Christianized and their first impulse is to give the Bible answer. I'm not looking for a Bible answer at all, at least not at this juncture. What I'm looking for is your answer. What is your view of God? How do you think he thinks of you? Did you know how you think God thinks about you is one of the most important questions that you could ever think about? How you answer the what does God think about me question, it's not just one of the most important questions that you could ever think about. This is a question that actually establishes the course of your life. It sets the trajectory for your life. What I want to do here is to give you five illustrations, five different people who have nothing in common whatsoever except they have a view of God, of how they think about God and how uh, they believe uh, God thinks about them. And so I just want to give those illustrations just to bring some clarity to this all-important question. Uh, So the first person is the atheist. The atheist says that he could not care less about God's views because he does not believe in God. 
and he lives his life accordingly. And so his opinion about God's view of him is like, I don't care what God thinks. And then based on that, it sets the course of his life. It sets the trajectory for how he lives. And he lives as though God is not real. That is his view of God, and it impacts everything that he does. And then you have the legalist. The legalist believes what he does or what he does not do alters God's view of him. And so what the legalist does is that he maps his understanding of God over the reality of who God actually is, and he says that God is an oscillating God. He's a vacillating God, and the vacillation is dependent upon the person, the legalist, dependent upon his Uh, behavior. And so therefore, the legalist sets up standards that he must live by uh, so that he can maintain God's good opinion of him. And so because God fluctuates so much in the legalist mind, which is poor theology, it really is, it's poor theology, and I'll talk more about that in a moment. But the legalist is the one who manages God's emotions, basically. He's managing God's attitude. He's managing God's perspective. Now, because of that, that determines the course of his life, different from the atheist, uh, but it's still a lot of bondage that the person is living in. And then you have the person with the hard conscience. This person may believe in God, but he has hardened his conscience to such a degree that he can live in sin. He can continue to live in sin while deceiving himself into believing that God is not even aware of what he is doing. Now, this process of hardening hardening your conscience, your conscience is your moral thermostat. Conscience is the Latin word transliterated. This is the uh, what, what it means. It means co-knowledge. It's an internal moral thermostat that helps us to distinguish between right or wrong. And so whether you are a believer or not, everybody has a conscience, as Paul taught us in Romans 2. And so when our conscience is going off and it is telling us that you're doing wrong, you're doing wrong. It's like a bell that is going off. It is dinging so loud that tells you that you need to stop doing whatever it is that you're doing, your moral thermostat. Well, what will happen is that a person who hardens his conscience that is that he will begin to silence that bell. And the way that he does that is that he will justify what he did or rationalize what he did or blame what he did on another person. And every time that he does one of those things, that bell gets quieter and quieter until eventually the bell makes no sound at all. And so his conscience is hardened. And so the hardened conscience person He may believe in God, but because his sin is more important to him and he has rationalized what he is doing so often that his conscience has gone from sensitive to dull to hard, and now his conscience is desensitized as though God doesn't care about what he's doing, that God is not involved in what he's doing, and God cannot see what he's doing, and that is what he believes. And so now he is flying blind, and again, he is living a life based on his view of God, which is through a hearted conscience. And then a third person is a weak conscience individual, and this is the person who is super sensitive. You see an illustration of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where these Jewish people, 
became believers. God regenerated them, and because of their former manner of life, they had these customs that they would not eat meat that was sacrificed to idols, and so they brought that former manner of living into their Christian experience, and so now they have this hybrid Christian experience. They are truly liberated. They are truly free to eat that meat uh, that is offered to idols, but their conscience is sensitive. And so because of their weak conscience or their sensitive conscience, they stay away from that because they believe it is a self-imposed guilt that they are placing on themselves. It's not a guilt that God places on them, but they are doing that because of their shaping influences. And so they're thinking that God would not be pleased with them. And so their view of God, again, alters and shapes the course of their life. And so you have the atheist who lives as though he doesn't care about God. The legalist who is who is adjusting God's, managing God's emotions. You have the hard conscience person who is so desensitized that his view of God is almost completely extinguished. And then you have the weak conscience person who is imposing guilt upon himself because of his former manner of life. And then the fifth individual is the mature believer. The mature believer knows that he is a sinner, past, present, and future, but he is also aware that his goodness or his badness does not alter alter God's perspective because he is in Christ. And so the mature believer is not managing God's emotions like uh, the like the legalist is trying to do, which he can't do either, by the way. And so the mature believer knows that, yeah, I can accept the fact that I am a sinner. I've sinned in the past. I I sin in the present tense, and I will sin in the future. But all of my sin is not greater than uh, what Christ has done. And so he has received another kind of righteousness, not his own. The legalist is trying to live according to his own righteousness, but the mature believer has what we call an alien righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness that was given to him, and so God sees Christ's righteousness. We use a simple illustration that I am in Christ, and so I have one hand inside uh, the other hand, or I have one hand covering the fist of the other hand, and so God sees Christ's righteousness and not mine. And so this mature believer lives a balanced free life, a restful life, a life that is at peace because he knows that how does God view him when he answers that question? He sees Christ. Now, does that mean that he is not obedient? Does that mean that he doesn't pursue a path of holiness? No, it doesn't mean that at all. His obedience flows out of gratitude for what God has done. His obedience doesn't flow out of, like the legalist, I want to obey to manage God's emotions. That's the legalist. No, the mature believer wants to uh, obey uh, because he is so grateful for what God has done uh, in him through Christ. Now, those are five people, the atheist, the legalist, the hard conscience, the weak conscience, and the mature believer. What other kind of person would you add to that list? I'm sure that's not an exhaustive list. How does their view of God 
whoever you add to that list. How does their view of God affect them? Now, it would be good for you to think through the five people that I presented to you and then whoever else that you add to that list and just work out. This would be a wonderful discussion to have, like in a, a small group of friends that you gather and talk about these five people and the repercussions of their belief system and how it sets the course and the trajectories for their lives and the difference between them and a mature believer or other people that you would add to this list. Now, if you you're not on this list that I just gave you, how would you answer the question about God's view of you and how it sets the course of your life? Now, one of the ways that you can do that is you can think about the course of your life. Uh, how has your life been going? For a brief moment, look in the rearview mirror and see the course of your life. That will have something to do with what you think about God and how you think he thinks about you. I asked a friend this question one time, how does God see her? And without hesitation, she said, not good. Two syllables, not good. Her understanding of God is that God connects her behavior to his pleasure. By the way, I have an article here, and the title of it is The Danger of Trying to Please God. And that would be representative of my friend because, again, she connects her behavior to God's pleasure, similar to the legalist. If she is not performing to her perspective of God's expectations, and it's important that you understand that phrase there, because what I was saying a while ago is that sometimes we can project our insecurities on people and give people an interpretation of how they think about us when in reality they're not thinking that way at all. But it's our insecurities that we're mapping over them, and now we're uploading an interpretation that's not even in their frame of thought at all. Well, that's what this lady here is doing. If she is not performing to her according to her perspective of God's expectations, then the Lord is not pleased with her. Now, she does not understand the purpose and the point of the gospel of Christ. It's just straightforward, and to put it kind of bluntly. It's not unusual for folks from conditional relationships, which was her situation. If you have been part of a conditional relationship, that like that makes up a part of your uh, dynamic-shaping influences, uh, that you have been conditioned based on your former manner of life with conditional relationships where you can come into a Christian experience and then map that past experience over who you think God is, and then you live according to that expectation, which is not the expectation that it's not God's perspective of us. A couple of those former manner of life bad shaping influences, the most common two are these, an authoritarian parent, whether it's a father or a mother. Uh, or maybe, let me, let me say it another way, not an authoritarian, it could be that, but a conditional parent, a conditional parent, meaning if you meet my expectations, if you do what I ask you to do, I will love you today. I will give you the candy. I will, I will do something for you if you do something for me. That is a conditional relationship, and that can create a legalistic mindset, as I have been talking about. And so this lady came from a conditional relationship with with a parent, and then when she came to know 
another authority figure, God himself, well, she already had an idea how authority figures work. And so because of that, uh, she just automatically knew or assumed, rather, that God's perspective of her was based on her meeting so many conditions, whatever that list or whatever those conditions are. Another way that that will happen is a legalistic religious culture. Uh, People who are part of a legalistic environment will uh, quickly learn that there are conditions for being okay with the brothers or being okay uh, with the people within that religious system. And depending on how long you are in it, it can shape you uh, to think about relationships conditionally. Now, there are other ways that we can be shaped that way, but those are two of the primary ones that will give us a skewed view of who God is. Now, when that happens, there are two common reactions from people who come out of conditional relationships. One is they work very hard to please God while always living with this sense of never measuring up to whatever preconceived notions that they have about God. And so these people live with a a cloud of, of shame and guilt and fear that just moves with them wherever they go. And they live that way because they have been trained to live and think that way, and that's the way they are. And so they'll always be insecure. They'll always be inhibited. They will always be timid and fearful and guilt and shame. And there'll be a constellation of these negative characteristics that will glom onto their souls and and it will control how they live their lives personally and also how they interact with others. And then there will be another reaction to these conditional relationships. And this is people who walk away uh, from God altogether. And they said, no, nah, I'm out, I'm out. Or what they do is they swing the pendulum to the other side. They stay within Christianity, but they they make what I call the grace mistake. And I, I hear that a lot to where it's either legalism on one side or grace on the other side, and it's neither. We are gospel-centered. And what I mean by the grace mistake is that they use, these are the people who use grace as a means of licentiousness, meaning I can do whatever I want to do because I live under grace. For by grace I have I been saved. And what they're doing is they're reacting to a legalistic culture. And so it is uh, legalism and and licentiousness, but they use grace as a sanitized way of talking about what they're doing that excuses many times sinful behavior. And so they either react to these conditional relationships by walking away from Christianity altogether, or they make what I call the grace mistake so that they can live any way that they want to live, but still name the name of Christ. And so people who will live, continue to live to please God, come out of conditional relationships, and then people who react to that either walking away from Christ or making the grace mistake. This is episode 415. The title of it is, How Does God See You? And Why Does It Matter? I want to ask you a few questions as I wrap up. The first two questions are, uh, the first one is an orthodoxy question and then an orthopraxy question. And so what I mean is I'm going to ask you a theological question, and then I want to ask you a practical theology question. How are you living it out? And so the theological or orthodoxy question is this, who is God from your perspective? 
Now, that is something that you really want to spend time thinking about because however you define God, well, that's going to, I mean, the next thing that you're going to do is is begin to talk about how he views you, but it will be based on uh, who you believe that God is. And that's where sound theology is absolutely critical. And so in this question, I want you to be specific whether you are theologically accurate or not. The aim here with this question, who is God from your perspective? The aim here is to be honest. Now, this is a question that you want to ask or that you want to conversate with someone who is theologically competent so that you can make sure that you are working from a sound theological foundation. And so who is God from your perspective? And then uh, the orthopraxy question, I have several, but the first one is, how does God view you? How does God view you? Well, it's going to be based on who you believe God is. And again, what I'm asking here is for you to be honest, even if you are off theologically. And so how does God view you? That is the question of the podcast that I want you to work through. Now, here are three other questions that are subsets that I would like for you to think about. Number one, describe how your view of God affects your life. I've given you five illustrations with the uh, the atheist and the legalist and the hard conscience and the weak conscience and the mature believer. And so I'm asking you specifically to answer that question for yourself. Describe how your view of God affects your life. And then number two, what have been some of the primary shaping influences regarding your view of God? I talked about authoritarian or conditional relationships. I've talked about the Jewish people who had a former manner of life. Uh, there are things that shape us and make us into who we are and how we think. And so you want to give some thought to the shaping influences that have been bent you in a certain way and specifically how you think about God. So what have been some of the primary shaping influences regarding your view of God. And then number three, in what ways do you need to change your view of God? Now, all of us need to change our view of God, or we need to tweak it. We need to continue to mature. We're finite. Uh, we're trying to understand the infinite one. And so we'll always be growing and maturing in our understanding of God. So that's not a negative. Uh, that is actually a privilege that we can grow in theological breadth and theological depth. So in what ways do you need to change your view of God? And then question number three, will you talk to a friend? about this episode 415. Now, I would appeal again that your friend be theologically astute and that they can address any theological weaknesses that you may have, not just address them, but also provide sound solutions so that you can uh, mature in your understanding of God how you believe he views you, because that will affect the life that you live. This is episode 415, How Does God See You and Why Does It Matter? Now, if you do have something that you would like for me to work through, again, I would encourage you to write us and let us know, uh, and I would love to consider it, and maybe it will be something that would be applicable to all of us, and that would be a privilege to think through that with you. Also, I would encourage you to consider our Mastermind program. We have an all-online training program where we teach people how to disciple. There are three aspects to our Mastermind program. It is theology, 
it, that's the core. That is essential. And then it is sanctification theory. How does theology work out in practical life? And then it is the and then is the practical part where you are making those applications in real situations where you're connecting sound theology to a person's real life. And so, if that is something that you're interested in, you can do it all online. And uh, we supervise it, and we walk you through it. And depending on your pace, if you have a consistent pace, you can do it in two, two and a half years, possibly three years. But again, it's self-paced. You can do it in six years if you want to, though I do not recommend that. If you have any questions about our Mastermind program, then we do have links on our website. And there's a lot of information there that will walk you through it because we want to give people as much as information as possible so they can make an intelligent decision as far as taking that program. I would also encourage you, if you are able, to support our ministry financially. We do give our resources away, and we're I am so thankful that we can do that. We made that decision a number of years ago that we're going to roll the sovereign dice and we're going to trust God that he would raise up people who benefit, they believe in what we are doing, but they also have the ability to support us, to underwrite our ministry. And so if you're not able to, then don't. There's no guilt here, and I don't want to pressure you or guilt you in any way whatsoever because everybody can't do that. In fact, the best way that you could serve our ministry is to pray that God would raise up people that can underwrite because we do have a lot of expenses. We're doing a lot of work and we're giving our product away, so to speak. And so if you could help us through prayer or through giving, I really would appreciate it. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.